0: One week season.
1: NFL Edge. Audio.
0: Packers at Lions. Kickoff Sunday, January 9th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 44 and a half. Game overview by Hilo. Guard slash tackle Billy Turner and cornerback Jair Alexander are the only players in the league's COVID list for the Packers. Tackle David Bakhtiari started the week with a limited showing before being downgraded to a DNP on Thursday as he attempts to return from an extended absence, while defensive end Kiki Kingsley has yet to practice this week. Lions tackles Taylor Decker and Penny Sewell are joined by linebacker Austin Bryant on the league's COVID list, while fullback Jason Cabinda is the only player yet to practice this week for them. Although the Packers have secured the number one seed in the NFC, any players they completely rest would go a full three weeks between their Week 17 game and the divisional round. How Green Bay will try to win. The Packers don't necessarily care as much about winning as they do about making it through this game healthy while getting some live game repetitions along the way. Why is that the case? Since they have the one seed locked up, the main decision for the Packers this week is whether or not to rest their starters in a meaningless game. That said. Any starters that fully rest would go a full three weeks between live NFL action, as they would have last played in week 17 and wouldn't play again until their divisional round game. This puts head coach Matt LaFleur in an interesting spot, as he has to play the risk-reward game in order to come to the decision he feels is the best for his team. Although we don't know for sure, at least not right now, what his final decision will be, the situation that makes the most sense is to get his starters some live game reps before pulling them in the second half. That will be my assumption for the remainder of this write-up. We know the Packers are going to play slow, we know they are going to remain balanced as far as play calling goes, and we know they should carry top-end efficiency for as long as the starters are in. The matchup with the Lions presents a situation that they should be able to beat anywhere on the field. Running back Aaron Jones has had his practice reps managed since returning from his missed game with a knee injury. His high in running back opportunity since returning to the lineup has been just 18, and I wouldn't expect more than a handful here. Some will point to A.J. Dillon being the likeliest beneficiary, but he has become such an integral part of this offense that I don't see him taking on much of an increased role, even with Jones unlikely to see much run, meaning we should see between 6 and 10 opportunities from each before they make way for Patrick Taylor, who saw 6 opportunities last week with Kylan Hill on IR. The matchup on the ground is pristine, yielding a robust 4.645 net adjusted line yards metric, leaving the only concern the lack of certainty surrounding expected workloads. That would be a different discussion should Jones and or Dylan rest, in which case the remaining members of this backfield become highly intriguing. It's a similar story for the passing game here, as I'd expect Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Alan Lazard, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and Josiah Degara to play about half the game. They should give way to Jordan Love, Equinemius St. Brown, Jawan Winfrey, Amari Rodgers, and Tyler Davis, likely leaving all members of the Packers passing game highly reliant on efficiency and touchdowns, As a means of generating any fantasy utility. The matchup through the air is another pure one, as the Lions have been routinely victimized by deep passing on a league average completion rate allowed. Should we get a more concrete answer before kickoff of what to expect regarding personnel usage, we can adjust those thoughts based on who would be on the field this week. How Detroit will try to win. The Lions come into their season finale battling through injuries, inconsistent quarterback play, and mass underperformance outside of DeAndre Swift earlier in the season, and Amon Ross St. Brown later in the season. This is an organization with a lot to figure out in the offseason, but one that has a coaching staff hungry for improvement. They would like nothing more than to end their season with an emphatic victory at home against their division rivals. That is, assuming they don't think the Jaguars can beat the Colts, in which case a victory would be a monumental failure. They currently hold the second overall pick in next year's draft, and can secure the first pick with a loss and a Jaguars win, however unlikely that may be. We've talked about this all season, but this Lions offense is built around the power run and intermediate passing games. Of course, they'd like to be more aggressive downfield, but are largely incapable of doing so based on the shortcomings of their quarterback room. Their year-long situation neutral pass rate sits at a low 47%, which jumps all the way up to 63% when playing from behind this year. They run the league's second slowest situation neutral offense, which jumps all the way up to the second fastest offense in the second half. DeAndre Swift, Jamal Williams, and Craig Reynolds split the backfield work last week, Swift's first game back from four missed games, at a 57-32-22% clip, and I'd expect that split to remain rather sticky this week. It simply doesn't make sense to run Swift into the ground, nor does it make sense to set him entirely. That should lead to somewhere between 12 and 15 running back opportunities for Swift and Williams, with Reynolds left to fight for the six to eight opportunities remaining. The matchup on the ground yields an above-average 4.415 net-adjusted line yards metric against the Packers' defense ranked second-worst in that regard. The Packers cede only 21.5 fantasy points per game to opposing backfields, primarily due to facing the third-fewest rush attempts against. The combination of routine positive game scripts and an extremely slow pace of play simply mute the rushing output against them. Amon ra St. Brown has seen 11 or more targets in five straight games, which have come with a mixture of Jared Goff and Tim Boyle at quarterback. His crisp routes, ability to separate within five yards of the line of scrimmage, and quickness have made him the favorite target of both quarterbacks and the only real threat from this offense of late. Furthermore, the slot wide receiver has now scored five total touchdowns in his last five games, four receiving and one rushing. It bears mention that his price has come up to almost prohibitive levels for a pass catcher with a 6.9 A dot, but there is nothing here to preclude him from once again cracking double digit targets. Expect Khalif Raymond and Josh Reynolds to return to their starting perimeter roles after missing last week on the league's COVID list, each typically floating around a 70% snap rate. The tight end room has been a mess since TJ Hawkinson was lost for the season, with all of Brock Wright, Shane Zylstra, Jared Pinkey, and Ross Travis playing significant snaps over the previous four weeks. Who? Likeliest game flow. We're likely to see the Packers score two to three touchdowns in the first half, assuming the starters end up playing, which again, I think is most likely here. This should make this game environment a familiar sight for the Lions, who have shown to be extremely aggressive in the second half of games in which they trail. Expect the Lions to increase their pace of play to extreme levels, their pass rates to above-average levels, and their desperation in the second half. It is also likely the starters for the Packers don't touch the field in the second half, providing a viable opportunity for the Lions to claw their way back into the game. Whatever production the Lions can muster is likeliest to flow through Amon Ross St. Brown and the running backs. Scenarios The Packers have clinched the one seed and only buy out of the NFC. The Lions have long been eliminated from postseason contention and currently hold the number two pick in 2022's NFL Draft. They could secure the first overall pick should they lose and the Jaguars win this week. Colts at Jaguars. Kickoff Sunday, January 9th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 44. Game Overview by Hilo. Only safety Andrew Sandejo finds himself on the league's COVID list for the Colts. Defensive tackle DeForest Buckner and cornerback Xavier Rhodes have yet to practice this week as of Thursday. The Jaguars currently have eight players on the COVID list, most notably center Brandon Linder and three defensive starters, including both starting safeties. Linebacker Miles Jack and tight end James O'Shaughnessy have yet to practice this week as of Thursday. win and in for the Colts. It's that simple for them this week. The Colts have the highest Vegas implied team total on the slate at almost 30 points. The Jaguars have no incentive to win here, as a loss would secure the number one overall pick in the 2022 NFL Draft. How Indianapolis will try to win. Clog the running lanes and play aggressive, ball-hawking defense while running the football behind a top-five offensive line. That's basically what the Colts aim to accomplish on a weekly basis. They have both the third-highest overall rush rate and rush rate when trailing, have generated the most turnovers in the league, tied with Dallas, attempt the fifth-fewest passes per game, and allowed just 21.2 points per game. Their situation neutral pace of play is the slowest in the league, while their overall pace ranks 31st. That's really it. Very simple to analyze and digest. Their opponent this week should do very little to slow down how the Colts like to approach games. The only hit to the fantasy prospectus of the Colts here is the potential for the team to rest players later in the game should they pull away from the Jaguars. Because the team will be playing in next week's wildcard round should they win. Jonathan Taylor. Man, the dude is an animal. Taylor's high in snap rate over the first five weeks of the season was 55%. In the 11 games since then, he has not dipped below 65%, with 8 of the last 9 games checking in at 71% or more. He even has a game with a 98% snap rate in that time frame, Week 15. Taylor is very clearly one of the most well-rounded running backs in recent history, capable of grinding out difficult 4-5 to five yard gains inside, bouncing it out off the edge, catching the ball out of the backfield, and breaking away at the second level. Furthermore. Taylor has seen at least 21 running back opportunities in each of the last eight games, an absolutely absurd stretch. Oh, and he has four games in his last eight with 29 or more running back opportunities. As if Taylor needed more going for him, he is currently 266 rush yards short of the vaunted 2,000-yard mark. However unlikely it may be, we've seen as many as 253 rushing yards from Taylor in his short career, week 16 of 2020 against this same Jaguars team. It's actually not outside the realm of possibility that his coach actually calls a game to help him get there, as Frank Reich is one of the more well-liked coaches from his players and has shown a propensity to pay attention to records and the like, although Reich's primary concern is with winning football games. The matchup on the ground yields an elite 4.55 net adjusted line yards metric against a defense allowing 25.1 fantasy points per game to opposing backfields, including 4.3 yards per carry. Behind Taylor, expect Naeem Hines to mix in for a now modest role in a primarily pass catching and hurry up capacity. Carson Wentz hasn't attempted more than 28 passes since a week 12 game against the Buccaneers, and we shouldn't expect more than 24 to 28 pass attempts here at the absolute maximum. Wide receiver Michael Pittman is the only pass catcher with a near every down roll, regularly playing 95 plus percent of the offensive snaps. Zach Pascal, Austin Doolin, and T.Y. Hilton have been splitting the remaining wide receiver snaps virtually in three with all of Jack Doyle, Mo cox and Kylan Granson splitting the snaps at tight end. There is no reason to go here on the largest slate of the season. How Jacksonville will try to win. First of all, I'm not sure the Jaguars will try, or should be trying, to win this game, as they currently hold the number one overall pick in next year's draft. That said, they have an interim head coach, Daryl Bevel, that could be auditioning for his first head coaching gig. He has assumed interim head coaching duties in back-to-back seasons for different organizations. The Jags are also a very young team, for which additional game reps mean a good deal. Even if we expect the Jags to exhibit maximum effort for the duration of the game, their chances of generating any real success are heavily diminished by a lack of talent and their opponent. Jacksonville averages only 14.2 points per game, lowest in the league, allow 27.9 points per game, second most in the league, and generate only 304.6 yards of offense per game. All signs point to an increase in their pass play rate against a pass funnel opponent. The backfield has been relegated to a three-way demi-timeshare between Daria Gumbawale, Rykel Armstead, and a splash of Tavon Austin. Those three backs will be running behind the league's 11th most efficient run-blocking offensive line against an opponent that ranks top three against the run. Gumbawale should be considered the lead back here, having played 66% of the offensive snaps a week ago, where he turned 11 total opportunities into 68 yards and a score through the air. The matchup on the ground yields an average 4.33 net adjusted line yards metric against a Colts defense allowing just 21.2 fantasy points per game to opposing backfields. Over his last seven games, quarterback Trevor Lawrence has four games of 38 or more pass attempts and three games of 28 or below, with two of those games seeing the Jaguars run 48 offensive plays or fewer. Basically, this team has been forced into increased aerial aggression more often than not, even though they are much more efficient on the ground. Against a Colts team that tilts pass funnel in a game environment highly likely to see the Jags playing from behind for the majority of the game, we should tentatively expect Lawrence to land on the higher side of his wildly fluctuating range of pass attempts. The two primary pass catchers for this offense are Marvin Jones Jr. and Laquan Treadwell. Each play nearly every down rolls on the perimeter with slot snaps being shared between running back wide receiver hybrid Tavon Austin and LaVisca Chenault Jr. Tight end James O'Shaughnessy has been ruled out for this game, leaving tight end duties to blocking tight end Chris Manhurts, Luke Farrell, and Kahale Waring. The Colts rank near the middle of the league in both opponent completion rate and yards allowed per completion, making narrowing down where pass game production is likeliest to flow rather difficult. What we do know is that MJJ and Treadwell are on the field almost every offensive snap. Likeliest Game Flow It is likeliest we see the Colts come into Jacksonville and walk the Jaguars off the field. The Colts carry the week's highest Vegas-implied team total, hold the week's largest spread, and very clearly are the better team in all aspects. Although we've seen some weird things happen in the league this year, this is definitely not a spot to overthink. The game environment is almost entirely up to the Jaguars to dictate, in that we should loosely expect the Colts to not only take their foot off the gas late if they are handily controlling the game, but likely rest starters in the process. If the Jaguars can muster a couple of scores within the first three quarters, wheels up for the main pieces of this game. Scenarios. Jacksonville has long been eliminated from playoff contention, but they are playing for the number one pick in 2022's NFL Draft. The Colts can earn the five seed with a win and some help, and could fall out of the postseason entirely with a loss. Very much a win or go home endeavor here. Finally, the Colts play in the early time slot, while the Bills and Patriots play in the afternoon time slot, and the Chargers and Raiders, two teams chasing them, play on Sunday night football. Washington football team at the Giants. Kickoff Sunday, January 9th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 38. Game Overview by Pappy. The Giants' backfield is a timeshare. Jarrett Patterson is likely to compliment Antonio Gibson. Both teams' passing attacks are a mess. There isn't a lot to like for DFS in this game. How Washington will try to win. The 6-10 and 10 football team come into this game completing another disappointing campaign coming off four straight division losses, including a 56-14 drubbing by the hated Cowboys. They have talented pieces, but when Ryan Fitzpatrick went down early in the year, this team was doomed to another tough season. Ron Rivera is among the coaches that must be nervous about their job, giving him an incentive to win this game. Win or lose, it might not be enough to get Rivera another season in Washington. The football team has become a slow-paced side, 19th in situation-neutral pace, that doesn't speed up when losing, 30th in pace when trailing making them a team that sucks the life out of most games. The Giants' defense has been below average against the pass, 17th in DVOA, and poor against the run, 29th in DVOA, presenting as a mini-run funnel, but also as a defense that is weak no matter how you choose to attack. Rivera is adaptable and likely to attack the Giants' run defense rather than turning things over to his shaky QB. Expect the football team to try and win with a run-balanced approach if they are ahead on the scoreboard. How New York will try to win. The 4-12 and 12 Giants are polishing off one of the worst seasons in recent memory. They lost their star running back multiple times throughout the year to lower body injuries, have every manner of misfortune befall their wide receiver group, were reminded that their tight end isn't good at football, fired their offensive coordinator midseason, and lost their starting QB to a mysterious neck injury that seems to be getting worse. All of this behind an offensive line that desperately needs an overhaul, and a defense that can't stop anyone. The Giants are a mess. The football team's defense has been weak against the pass, 28th in DVOA, and solid against the run, 10th in DVOA. They have been attackable through the air, but the Giants set up exceedingly poorly to take advantage of their opponent's weaknesses. Jake Fromm is expected to start, and Joe Judge might as well throw caution into the wind, letting Fromm try to exploit Washington's poor secondary. The Giants have had no continuity in their offensive play calling or personnel the past two months, which has led to point totals of 10, 13, 9, 21, 6, 10, and 3 in their past seven games. The G-Men are averaging a sorry 10.2 points per game during that stretch. Expect the Giants to try and pass, but ultimately fail offensively. Likeliest Game Flow This game has a comically low total, 38, because this game is quite possibly a pairing of the two worst offenses in the league. You can't expect either team to score many points, even though both defenses are also weak. Washington is still the better side since the Giants are in total shambles. The most likely game flow has the football team successfully being able to play hide the QB, riding their defense and running game to a sloppy,
1: low-scoring victory. Enjoying the game breakdowns? Go to OneWeekSeason.com and become a subscriber to gain access to in-depth analysis, strategy interpretations, and more to help you bring your daily fantasy football game to the next level.
0: Bears at Vikings. Kickoff Sunday, January 9th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 44 and a half. Game Overview by Pappy. This game means nothing for either team, but means a lot to both coaches who are trying to save their jobs. Vikings games are highly game flow dependent. This is an all-or-nothing DFS spot. Dalvin Cook is the best floating play from this game. How Chicago will try to win. The 6-10 Bears come into Week 18, having been eliminated from the playoffs for the past three weeks. Matt Nagy's seat is on fire, and riding a two-game meaningless win streak is unlikely to save him. Nagy announced that Fields is expected to return as a full practice participant this week, which means he is healthy enough to start. The Bears want to play slow. 23rd in situation neutral pace, but have been aggressive lately as Nagy has been more willing to let Fields throw. Nagy seems to know that his best chance at holding on to his job is showcasing Fields' development. The Vikings' defense has been beatable through the air, 16th in DVOA, and weak against the run, 25th in DVOA, presenting as a mini-run funnel. That difference shouldn't tilt the Bears away from playing a pass-balanced style designed to put up points in Nagy's last chance to show the Bears' brass why he deserves one more year. Fields threw 39 times in these teams' first meeting, and it's reasonable to expect a similar game plan. How Minnesota Will Try to Win The 7-9 Vikings come into Week 18 at the tail end of another disappointing year. They were expected to compete with the Packers for the NFC North, but they failed to even be a threat for a wildcard playoff berth. The Vikings have talent on their roster, but continue to underperform and have particularly disappointed on defense. Mike Zimmer is a defensive-minded coach that has a lot of skilled players on offense, That should be a good combination, but it hasn't worked in Minnesota. The Vikings want to play at a moderate pace, 17th situation neutral, but are willing to speed up if they're behind, 4th in pace, which makes Vikings games highly susceptible to game flow. This week, they get a Bears defense that has been respectable against the pass, 10th in DVOA, but weak against the run, 23rd in DVOA. This sets up well for how the Vikings prefer to attack. Expect them to slam Dalvin Cook and use the threat of the run to set up downfield shots. The usual formula in what is possibly Mike Zimmer's last game is the Vikings head coach. Likeliest game flow. This game has a moderate total of 45, which feels like a hedge between things playing out as the slow-paced divisional game with a lot of running and the Bears taking a lead which will turn the Vikings into a fast-paced aggressive team. Neither side has anything to play for, but both coaches do, as they could easily be the first two head coaches released when the season ends. Expect both teams to play hard, with the most likely outcome being the Vikings riding their running game to a win. Tributaries. The Vikings have produced many games this year that have been great targets for DFS. That's because they have a concentrated offense, a bad defense, and are highly reactionary to being down on the scoreboard. When they are losing, they turn from a moderate-paced team that leans run into a fast-paced team that will throw it all over the yard. What if the Bears come out hot on offense? If they take an early lead, the Vikings will become aggressive and this game could turn into an unexpected shootout. The issue with betting on this game flow is that the Bears are one of the worst opponents to make it happen. Last time these teams met it produced a dry 17-9 Vikings win. That type of game flow must be considered the most likely outcome, but it is possible this game becomes more like other Vikings games if the Bears take an early lead. Due to time constraints, the Edge audio for Titans at Texans is not available at this time. Please check OneWeekSeason.com for the written version. Steelers at Ravens. Kickoff Sunday, January 9th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 41.5. Game Overview by Pappy. The Steelers should let Ben throw in what is probably his last game. Deontay Johnson is priced for his floor, but has a great matchup. The Ravens' backfield swings between featuring Devonta Freeman and being a timeshare. Mark Andrews is priced $800 above the second-most expensive tight end, George Kittle. How Pittsburgh will try to win. The 8-7-1 Steelers are coming off an emotional win against the Browns, and barring a crazy circumstance, it will be Ben Roethlisberger's last home game. Speaking as a lifelong Steelers season ticket holder that will always remember your first game and your last, thanks Ben. Despite the win last week, the Steelers still need help to make the postseason. They must win, and the Colts need to lose to the Jaguars. The Colts aren't likely to lose to the Jaguars, but you never know, which will keep Pittsburgh playing hard. The Steelers play quickly, 8th in situation neutral pace, and stay within the top 12 in pace regardless of score. They want to attack with an up-tempo, short-passing game designed to hide their deficiencies along the offensive line and Ben's aging arm. The Ravens are weak against the pass, 30th in DVOA, and strong against the run, 6th in DVOA, presenting one of the clearest pass funnels in the league. This matches up well with how the Steelers want to attack, and Pittsburgh is unlikely to deviate from its normal short passing strategy. Considering the narrative that this is probably Ben's last game against the biggest rival of his career, there is every reason to think the Steelers will come out throwing. How Baltimore will try to win. The eight and eight Ravens come into week eighteen having totally collapsed down the stretch. A month ago, the Ravens looked as if they would cruise to an AFC North title with a shot at the top seed. Four weeks later, They aren't mathematically eliminated from the playoffs, but would need a win plus a minor miracle. This sliver of hope will keep the Ravens at full speed, with the added motivation of playing a longtime rival, Ben, in his final game. Three of the Ravens' four straight losses have come by a combined five points, and they'd like nothing more than to take that frustration out on Pittsburgh. The Ravens play slow, 27th in situation-neutral pace, and stay slow in all circumstances, only speeding up, 15th in pace, if trailing by more than a touchdown. The Steelers' defense has been middling against the pass, 13th in DVOA, but uncharacteristically has been pounded on the ground, 27th in DVOA, posting one of their worst seasons defending the run in recent history. It's uncertain if we see Lamar Jackson or Tyler Huntley, but they are similar enough players that it shouldn't affect the Ravens' game plan. The Ravens have been surprisingly pass-heavy recently, probably due to their deficiencies at running back, but this mashup should tilt them towards the ground. Despite the matchup, the Ravens' limitations at running back should keep them balanced rather than run heavy. Expect Baltimore to try and take a lead early by playing balanced, and then relying more heavily on the ground game late to run out the clock. Likeliest Game Flow This game has a low total, 41.5, because both offenses have looked poor lately. Neither defense has been particularly strong, but bad offenses are bad offenses for a reason, and they don't become good by facing a weak defense. Both defenses have been weak defending one area, the run for the Steelers, the pass for the Ravens, rather than overall sieves, and both are likely to get up for an always physical division rivalry game. The Steelers appear to be in better position to take advantage of the Ravens' defensive weakness, but it's worth noting that the Ravens have been victimized by deep passing, something the Steelers don't do well. The Ravens would normally set up well against a team that can't defend the run, but injuries have decimated their running backs, making it less likely they slam it down the Steelers' throat. The most likely game flow is a closely contested game between two teams that know each other well, ending in a one-score game
1: that is decided
0: late in the fourth quarter.
1: Enjoying the game breakdowns? Go to OneWeekSeason.com and become a subscriber to gain access to in-depth analysis, strategy interpretations, and more to help you bring your daily fantasy football game to the next level. The Bengals at the Browns kick off Sunday, January 9th at 1 p.m. Eastern. With an over-under of 37.0. Due to time constraints, this write-up can be found at oneweekseason.com. The Panthers at the Buccaneers kickoff Sunday, January 9th at 4.25 p.m. Eastern, with an over-under of 41.5. Game Overview by M. Johnson86. This is a rare rematch of a matchup that we saw just two weeks ago, with the Bucks winning the first game in Carolina 32-6. Tampa Bay has a chance at securing multiple home games in the playoffs despite a tumultuous second half of the season. Sam D'Arnold has continued to look shaky this season for the Panthers, with one last audition for next season against a tough defense. Tampa Bay's strength lines up with the strength of the Panthers' defense. How Carolina will try to win Carolina was able to stay with their running game in Week 17 against the Saints, despite limited success, because the Saints were unable to generate much offense themselves to force the issue. In this matchup against one of the league's top offenses, Carolina is unlikely to be able to maintain the near 50-50 run-pass split that they operated with last week. Tampa Bay also operates as one of the more extreme pass-funnel defenses in the league, so Carolina is likely to need to move the ball with short area to intermediate passing. The Panthers attempted 45 passes compared to just 15 rushes in the Week 16 matchup with the Bucks, and that was with Cam Newton starting and playing a good portion of the game. It is highly likely that the Panthers will be forced to have DeArnold throw 40-plus times again in this game against a Tampa Bay defense that gave up solid production to Zach Wilson, Braxton Berrios, and the Jets last week. In the Week 16 game, the Panthers only managed a meager 5.58 yards per pass attempt. The only scenario where I could see the Panthers being able to stay balanced would be if they make a big play or get a turnover that leads to an early score, and that lead gives them some control of the game. How Tampa Bay will try to win. Tampa Bay's offense is second in the league in pace of play and leads the league in pass rate. While the Panthers have a very good pass defense, which is the easier path to attack them, they will be without star cornerback Stephon Gilmore and there is a chance that some other key players will sit as well. Coming off an ugly performance in Week 17, and with all of the negativity around the Bucks over the last weekend, I would expect Tom Brady to come out focused and dice up the Panthers through the air. The Bucks are already without Leonard Fournette, and now Ronald Jones is likely to miss Sunday's game with an ankle injury, leaving Kishon Vaughn as the lead running back. Vaughn has looked good the last two weeks, but the Bucks are unlikely to give him 25-30 to 30 touches, increasing the likelihood of an aggressive passing attack for Tampa Bay. Likeliest Game Flow This is a game that means a lot for the Bucks in terms of playoff seeding, as well as momentum heading into the playoffs. Coming off the bad performance in New York with a lot of new pieces on offense, the Bucks will treat this game with laser focus and like a dress rehearsal to get things rolling heading into the playoffs. Last year, the Bucs won four straight games heading into the playoffs, scoring an average of 37 points per game as they built momentum for their playoff run. This year, they have an ugly win against the Jets and a shutout loss to the Saints in the last three weeks. I don't know if the angry Tom narrative is real, but I do know that when good teams with high-end quarterbacks play poor teams whose seasons are over, it usually has a predictable outcome. With that in mind, this game sets up for the Bucs to take control of the game early and really pour it on. The Bucks control the tempo in that scenario and forced Arnold to throw the ball at a very high rate against a secondary that should be in much better shape than they were last week. When multiple starters were on the COVID list and cleared Sunday morning, then had flight issues that kept them from arriving at the stadium until right before kickoff. The Bucks may pull their starters and key players in the fourth quarter of this game if they are in clear control and or the Rams are able to pull away from the 49ers, thus locking Tampa into the three-seat. But even in that scenario, they will likely have done a ton of damage already. Scenarios The Bucks are currently the 3 seed but can get up to the 2 seed with a win and a Rams loss. The Rams play at the same time as the Bucks in a game that the 49ers also need to win. The 49ers also beat the Rams in their first matchup, so the 2 seed is very viable for the Bucks. This would be a big deal, as it would give Tampa Bay back-to-back home games in the first two rounds of the playoffs, as well as a chance for a home game in the NFC Championship if the Packers were to lose in the divisional round. The Bucks also have incentives for Brady and Gronk that are attainable, and Mike Evans can reach his eighth consecutive 1,000-yard season. They will approach this game in a normal fashion until it is fully in control. Pay attention to news out of Carolina regarding players being surprisingly inactive or limited, They may be looking for a franchise quarterback in the draft, and currently would have the sixth pick in the draft. Depending on other results, if they win, they could fall as far as the ninth pick, and if they lose, they could move up as far as the third pick. The Panthers are an analytically driven team and are likely very aware of this situation. They likely don't need to give the Bucks any help in taking care of this game, but it wouldn't be surprising for them to be overly cautious with some key guys to make sure they don't hurt their future in a meaningless game. The Patriots at the Dolphins kick off Sunday, January 9th at 4.25 p.m. Eastern, with an over-under of 40.0. Game Overview by M. Johnson 86 A lot has changed for these teams since they faced in Week 1, where the Dolphins won a tight 17-16 game. New England has a chance to win the division with a win and a loss by the Bills. Miami has a chance to have back-to-back winning seasons for the first time since 2002-2003. New England has a balanced, methodical attack, while Miami has a pass-heavy attack that is likely to put a lot on Tua's plate this week. How New England will try to win The Patriots have established themselves as a balanced and dangerous offense, ranking top 10 in the league by most metrics in both rushing and passing efficiency. They have a dominant offensive line and use a high rate of heavy personnel with multiple tight ends and or a fullback. The Dolphins' run defense has improved significantly from the poor unit we saw in 2020 and early this season, but is still the easier path to attack them. Mac Jones has been surgical this season with a 67% completion rate and a solid 7.2 yards per pass attempt. It has been extremely impressive to see him pick up a complex Patriots offense so quickly and make the reads to get the ball to the right spot regularly. The Patriots deploy a diverse set of personnel groups and formations, forcing defenses to adjust and stay on their toes. This makes things easier on both the running game and passing game, as teams are unable to load the box against the run and also forced to respect the two-headed backfield of Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson, which gives Jones some easier reads when he drops back. New England is likely to approach this game with their usual balanced approach and personnel groupings, exploiting weaknesses in the Dolphins, including a run defense that the Titans gashed last week. They also operate at the fifth-slowest situation-neutral pace in the league and are unlikely to push the tempo in this game. How Miami will try to win Miami does not own their first-round pick and has a chance to finish the year with a winning record with a win this week. Head coach Brian Flores is a Patriots disciple, so this game will mean something extra to him as well, so we should expect a full effort from Miami, who beat New England in Week 1. The Dolphins are eliminated from the playoffs because of tiebreakers, but this game will still mean something to them. Tua Tagovailoa is not in the clear to be the Dolphins' starting quarterback next season, with one last audition to prove himself and keep them from pursuing quarterback replacements via trades and free agency. Miami is in the middle of the pack in situation-neutral pace of play and ranks 8th in the league in pass rate. Given all of the rumors around Tua this season and his miserable performance in Week 17, I would not be surprised to see the Dolphins put a lot on his plate and give him one last chance to show what he can do, for better or worse. The Patriots have one of the top pass defenses in the league, which would usually be something that would push the Dolphins to a more run-focused attack. But Week 18 is a different animal, and long-term evaluations and plans will likely take precedent over just what may be slightly more plus EV for them in the context of this week. While I don't think the Dolphins will just abandon the run and throw every play, I do think that a more aggressive passing attack that asks Tua to push the ball down the field and make more plays is highly likely. Likeliest Game Flow This game is likely to stay close early on, as the Patriots are the better team and have a balanced and methodical offense, while the Dolphins are a respectable team who won't just let them march down the field repeatedly like the Jaguars allowed last week. As noted previously, the Dolphins may become more aggressive in this game, but as long as the Patriots are still playing to win and have all their guys on the field, it is unlikely that Miami would be able to turn this game's tempo up significantly. We should expect another competitive game between these teams, who have both changed and improved since the 16 weeks they last faced each other. However, there is a chance that the likeliest game flow gets disrupted by external influences. That scenario is outlined below. Scenarios The Patriots are currently the 5 seed in the AFC, but can win the AFC East and move up as high as the 2 seed if they win and the Bills lose to the Jets. If the Bills beat the Jets, the Patriots will be locked into either the 5-seed or 6-seed. The Bills are 17-point home favorites and beat the Jets 45-17 a few weeks ago. If the Patriots don't see a difference between the 5-seed and 6-seed, this game may actually mean more to the Dolphins than it does to the Patriots. Bill Belichick has lost key players in meaningless games before. I wouldn't be surprised with him treating this as a glorified preseason game once the Bills take control of the Jets. The Patriots will approach this game like normal, as they can't let a chance to win the division get away. However, if the Bills perform as expected, we can reasonably expect the Patriots to switch gears mid-game, with a trip to Cincinnati or Buffalo likely on the horizon for the wildcard round of the playoffs in just six or seven days. Enjoying the game breakdowns? Go to OneWeekSeason.com and become a subscriber to gain access to in-depth analysis, strategy interpretations, and more to help you bring your daily fantasy football game to the next level. The Saints at the Falcons kick off Sunday, January 9th at 4.25 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 40.0. Game Overview by M. Johnson 86 Very simple for the Saints. Must-win game if they want a chance to get in the playoffs. These teams had an eventful game in their first meeting, with the Falcons pulling off a 27-25 last-second win. Both offenses have turned into run-heavy teams over the second half of the season, ranking 21st and 23rd in the league in situation-neutral pass rates. The Falcons were eliminated from playoff contention last week. How New Orleans will try to win. New Orleans will continue to be a run-heavy operation, with Taysom Hill operating as their quarterback. The Saints have run the ball on 51% of their offensive plays during Hill's four starts. This week, they face a Falcons run defense that is 30th in DVOA, 26th in yards allowed per carry, and 28th in PFF rush defense grade. The Falcons are also a team who just had their playoff hopes put to rest last week and have nothing to play for other than ruining the Saints' chances at the playoffs. New Orleans will use their dual-threat rushing attack to stretch the Atlanta defense and attack their overmatched front seven horizontally. The Saints also involve their running backs heavily in the passing game, essentially acting as an extension of the running game at times as a way to stay conservative but give defenses a different look. The Saints had a condensed target tree in last week's win over Carolina, with Kamara and Marquez Callaway combining for 16 of the 23 targets that Saints pass catchers saw. This week may see a return of Mark Ingram, while Deontay Harris should be practicing in full after missing most of last week on the COVID list. Both situations that should work to spread the distribution of targets a bit more evenly than we saw last week. The Saints have their season on the line, and will lean into their clear and obvious strength against a team that is dead in the water and is already vulnerable to rushing attacks. How Atlanta will try to win One of the great mysteries of the 2021 NFL season will be how the Falcons were able to stay in the playoff race until Week 17. The Falcons have somehow managed a 7-9 record, despite a negative 136 point differential, which is 27th in the league. Of the nine games the Falcons have lost, seven of them have been by double digits, with four of those being by over 20 points. Truly incredible stuff that a team who was that consistently bad was able to find a way to seven wins, and also impressive that all seven of their wins were in one-score games. Atlanta was a pass-heavy team last season and early this year, but the losses of Julio Jones and then Calvin Ridley have transitioned them to a balanced squad out of necessity. Matt Ryan has a potential out in his contract after this season, and the Falcons may be at a point where a change is coming, making this potentially his last game with the franchise. While that is not necessarily likely, it would be a $40 million cap hit to the Falcons to cut him. It would also not be entirely surprising if they let him go, take their lumps in 2022, and draft a new franchise QB in 2023. The Falcons have been splitting their backfield pretty evenly between Mike Davis and Cordarell Patterson recently as Patterson is clearly dealing with some health issues. It wouldn't be shocking for Patterson to be rested this week. The Saints have an elite run defense, but their pass defense is also very good, which is no surprise as it has been their defense that has kept them in postseason contention despite a disappointing offensive season. Kyle Pitts is also battling a hamstring injury, but needs 58 yards receiving to break the NFL's single-season record for receiving yards by a rookie tight end. The Falcons will continue their balanced attack, but are likely to struggle to move the ball consistently. Likeliest Game Flow The Saints are likely to control this game, as the Falcons' offense is simply not explosive enough to take a big lead on the Saints' defense in a must-win game. New Orleans is methodical and run-heavy, meaning this game is likely to be a grinder with the Saints gradually pulling ahead. This has been a heated rivalry over the years, so I don't expect the Falcons to just roll over, but the Saints' running game is likely to keep the chains and the clock moving as Atlanta has struggled mightily with good running games this year. Just last week, the Bills, a normally pass-first team, ran for 233 yards and four touchdowns against them. Buffalo spread the field and ran with their own dual-threat QB, Josh Allen, and their running backs, potentially setting the blueprint for the Saints in Week 18. Scenarios The Saints will make the playoffs if they win and the 49ers lose, a very realistic outcome considering San Francisco is playing in Los Angeles against the current two-seed Rams who must win to hold on to their division lead. The Falcons were alive for the playoffs until last week when they lost to the Bills 29-15. Perhaps the most unpredictable teams in the last week of the season are those who were just eliminated from the playoffs. Teams who were eliminated long ago have been playing for nothing for a while, so there is less reason to change things for this last week. Teams that were just knocked out often have some players who were playing through injuries that they can now shut down, or players who they will protect for future years and or salary cap purposes in case they want to cut them in the offseason. Something to keep in mind with Atlanta and other teams in similar situations. The Jets at the Bills kick off Sunday, January 9th at 4:25 p.m. Eastern with an over/under of 41.0. Game overview by M Johnson 86. The Bills need a win in order to clinch the AFC East and can get as high as the 2 seed depending on other outcomes. The Jets offense has come alive to end the season, averaging 24.7 points per game over the last 3 weeks. Both games have shown high pass rates and tempo over the course of the season and recently. These teams previously met in New York, with the Bills winning 45-17. How New York will try to win. The Jets had only scored 24 or more points in one Zach Wilson start this season prior to Week 15. Since then, they have hit that mark in all three of their games, including a game they should have won against a very good Tampa Bay defense. While this comparison may be a stretch, we don't have to look far in this game to see a highly criticized first-round pick who struggled early in his rookie season before the light bulb came on to end the year, as Josh Allen's second half to his rookie season certainly propelled him to the improvement we have seen since. Let me be clear, Wilson hasn't been anything close to great recently, but he at least hasn't kept the Jets from staying in games. Young players adjusting to the NFL take some time, and players can get better. This will be a game where Wilson will have to show a lot of improvement to keep the Jets competitive. New York has the second-highest situation neutral pass rate and plays at an above-average pace this season. Unfortunately, the Bills have one of the top pass defenses in the league and have destroyed many of the weaker teams they have played this season, including the Jets. New York is unlikely to significantly change their play calling or approach for the final game in the season, so that pass rate is something we should expect to stay consistent here, unless they can somehow take a lead or the weather turns this game into a mess. The passing game should focus on screens and short area passing to protect Wilson from the Bills' pass rush and keep him from challenging PFF's number two graded coverage unit. How Buffalo Will Try to Win Buffalo destroyed the Jets in their first meeting and should be able to have their way again here in a must-win game at home. The Bills have become a much more balanced team this season than we saw last year, running the ball at a 47% rate over the last three weeks. It is important to note, however, that two of those games were against a run-funnel defense of the Panthers and the poor rushing defense of the Falcons in poor weather. The Bills need a win and have advantages everywhere. They can attack in any manner that they want. While they have been run heavy of late and during their first game with the Jets, the Bills are likely to have great efficiency on both the ground and through the air. In the Week 10 meeting with the Jets, Allen threw for 366 yards on just 28 pass attempts. The weather in Buffalo on Sunday looks clear, but currently looks like it will have 15 to 20 mile an hour winds throughout the game. While this may have a small effect on deep passing, Allen has a strong enough arm to overcome the slight weather issues. Also, with a victory appearing to be easily attainable through any mode of attack, it would make sense for the Bills to limit the number of hits Allen takes with the playoffs just one week away. This leads me to think the Bills may lean on their passing game more early in the game, and use their running backs rather than Allen when they do decide to run. Last week against the Falcons, Allen ran the ball 15 times, including a lot of designed runs. I would be very surprised to see the Bills use him in that way again this week unless they are pressed in a close game late. Likeliest Game Flow The Bills are extremely likely to take control of this game early on. The Bills are likely to be aggressive early in the game in an attempt to knock out their opponent early in the game and let them rest some key players for the last quarter or more of a game they are favored to win by three scores. The Bills are also likely to throw often in an effort to limit Allen's hits on running plays, which, combined with the high pass rate of the Jets, should result in a first half with high play volume and potentially high scoring, at least on the Bills' side. The Jets will attack in a more horizontal and short-area fashion early in this game, but will progressively be forced to be more aggressive down the field. The Bills' pass rush and secondary are likely to tee off on Zach Wilson early in the game, although if they smash early as expected, it would not be surprising to see some solid second-half production from the Jets' passing game against Buffalo's backups. Scenarios Buffalo must win to clinch the AFC East. If they lose, they can drop as low as the 6th seed. If they win, they can jump as high as the two seed if the Bengals and or Chiefs lose. The Bills will know the results of those games prior to kickoff. Both teams should be playing this game like a normal game, with the Jets trying to maintain momentum into the offseason. The 49ers at the Rams kickoff Sunday, January 9th at 4.25 p.m. Eastern, with an over-under of 44.5. Game overview by M Johnson 86. The nature of the San Francisco offense hinges significantly on the health and availability of Jimmy Garoppolo. These teams played earlier this season with San Francisco leading wire to wire in a 30 to 10 victory. These teams have very different offensive approaches in terms of pace and play calling, but both are very effective. Both teams need a win to maximize their playoff situations, making this close to an actual playoff game. How San Francisco will try to win. The big question for the 49ers this week surrounds the health of Jimmy Garoppolo, who has a torn tendon in his right thumb, his throwing hand. This, understandably, makes playing quarterback in the NFL very difficult. Throwing the ball becomes harder, but there is also the dynamic of taking snaps, ball handling on handoffs and fakes, and taking hits. Jimmy has been throwing in practice this week and reportedly looks pretty good, but there is a difference between a controlled environment and a live game when that thumb will take some hits early and often. If Garoppolo is not able to play, Trey Lance will start again. Lance has struggled twice this season, but looked better in the second half last week against the Texans as he led the 49ers to a victory. When evaluating San Francisco, the reality is that they will either be playing with a raw, athletic quarterback who has been inconsistent and underwhelming in his first two starts, or they will have a quarterback who was already a game manager that they will now have to take extra care to protect and preserve. Either scenario calls for a run-heavy game script, as the 49ers will try to slow the game the way their 28th-ranked situation-neutral pace has done to opponents all season. In the first meeting of these teams, the 49ers ran the ball 44 times compared to only 19 pass attempts. While that tells one story, the reality is they were not very effective, averaging only 3.2 yards per carry on 37 running back attempts, and were only able to maintain that high run rate because of the big lead they built due to the Rams' offensive struggles, which we will get to shortly. The Rams' defense is no joke, ranking top five against both the run and the pass, and Aaron Donald can single-handedly ruin a game for an offense. The 49ers will definitely lean into their running game and perhaps will be most effective doing so with Lance under center to act as another threat to the defense with his legs. When the 49ers do throw the ball, they will likely look to find ways to get the ball in the hands of their elite playmakers, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, who can change the game in a blink with their ability to break tackles and outrun defenders. The method by which the 49ers attack through the air will change dramatically, depending on who is under center, as Jimmy throws mostly underneath and over the middle of the field, while Lance is able to make more throws to the perimeter and down the field. How Los Angeles will try to win. Los Angeles is a top-five team in terms of both pass rate and pace of play. They have a division title and multiple home playoff games riding on this game, so I would expect them to lean into what got them here by continuing to play to their strengths. This is especially true against a 49ers team whose secondary has been ravaged by injuries and COVID recently. Four of San Francisco's top-five cornerbacks are currently on the COVID list, placed there on either Tuesday or Wednesday of this week. The only one left from those top five who are practicing this week is 34-year-old Josh Norman, who is PFF's 82nd-graded cornerback out of 87 players who have played at least 50% of the snaps this season. The 49ers also have one of their starting safeties on the COVID list, and another starting safety battling a shoulder injury. This is not good news against a highly efficient Rams-passing offense. All season, the 49ers have been easier to throw the ball on than it has been to run against them. The 49ers also have the second-best run defense DVOA in the league due to a great front seven, and with the current state of that secondary, that difference should only grow in terms of path of least resistance. The Rams expect Cam Akers back just six months removed from tearing his Achilles, but he should only mix in for 10-15 to 15 snaps in his first game back. The 49ers will likely get several of their defensive backs off the COVID list prior to Sunday, but even in that case, they will not have practiced all week. We have seen several times in the past few weeks that players returning from the COVID list often struggle, especially without practice time to get their conditioning back. The sharp thing for the Rams to do would be to take an extremely pass-heavy attack and play at a blistering pace, as playing defensive back in the NFL is not for the faint of heart, and high pass volume and pace would wear those players down very quickly. Likeliest Game Flow The first time these teams played, Matthew Stafford had a couple of early turnovers, and the 49ers took an early lead that allowed them to control the pace of the game and make Los Angeles one-dimensional. That was a Monday night game in San Francisco when the Rams' offense was dealing with a lot of unexpected changes. They had just lost Robert Woods to a torn ACL that week in practice, and Odell Beckham Jr. was signed three days before the game. The Rams were also heading into their bye week and playing on the road. This week, the Rams enter the game on a five-game winning streak, are at home, and have a division title on the line. The likeliest game flow here is a close game that ultimately the Rams are slightly more likely to control. Their passing game should be more effective than it was the first time these teams met, and with so much riding on the game and in a home environment, I would expect that the Rams won't hand the 49ers early control again. The 49ers' personnel issues in the secondary continue to be an issue and they will likely struggle to hold the Rams down because of this, while the 49ers' offense has a lot of questions at the most important position right now, making it difficult to expect a high level of offensive output from them. If the Rams can take control, I would expect much more pace and scoring from this game than we saw in the first meeting, which combined for 41 total points and 117 total plays, well below league average, especially with so much on the line. Scenarios Los Angeles must win to secure a division title and the two-seed. San Francisco must win to secure a playoff spot. If San Francisco loses, they would still have a chance to get in the playoffs if New Orleans were to lose. The only scenario for either team's motivations to change mid-game would be if Atlanta were to jump out and dominate the Saints, making the game meaningless for San Francisco. This is an unlikely outcome in that game, meaning we should expect both teams to give Everything they have. Enjoying the game breakdowns? Go to OneWeekSeason.com and become a subscriber to gain access to in-depth analysis, strategy interpretations, and more to help you bring your daily fantasy football game to the next level. The Seahawks at the Cardinals kick off Sunday, January 9th at 425 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 48.0. Game Overview by M. Johnson 86. These teams are very different now than they were a couple of months ago when Arizona beat Seattle 23-13 on the road. This game may quietly have the most offensive upside of any game on the slate. Both teams are playing at a fast pace and throwing often recently. Motivation is there on both sides, as Arizona has a lot to play for and Pete Carroll would love to play spoiler. How Seattle will try to win. Despite some inconsistent results, these are not the Seahawks that the public often perceives as a team that pounds the ball and plays at a slow pace. Seattle is 10th in the league in situation-neutral pace this year, increasing their no-huddle rate and general offensive tempo significantly from past years. Also of note, the Seahawks have ranked 6th in the league in situation-neutral pass rate from Weeks 10 through 16. Week 9 was the Seahawks' bye week and Russell Wilson returned after that while in Week 17, the Seahawks went to a run-heavy approach as they throttled an overmatched Lions defense in a home game with sloppy weather. Other than that, Russ has been letting it rip a bit, with the added caveat being that they had some tough matchups and some health issues that have kept them from truly being explosive or effective at many times. There has been a lot of talk about the Seahawks possibly parting ways with Pete Carroll after this season. This means this could be the final game of a historic run in Seattle for Carroll. On the other hand, this is a chance for the Seahawks to make a statement win to end the season and build into next year, perhaps mending the relationship with Russell Wilson and becoming the offense they should, could have been the last couple years. I would expect a highly aggressive approach to this game from Seattle in a nothing-to-lose-everything-to-gain spot. The Cardinals have a very formidable defense against both the run and the pass, but have been beatable of late, giving up 25 points per game over the past four weeks. Rashad Penny has finally emerged as the talented lead back the Seahawks envisioned when they drafted him, and his efficiency of late has unsurprisingly coincided with the Seahawks being more aggressive through the air. Russell Wilson has had some big games in Arizona over the years, and after playing in bad weather the last two weeks, a dome game will be a welcome sight as Russ and the boys look to get cooking one last time to end the season. How Arizona will try to win Arizona leads the league in no-huddle rate and plays at the seventh-fastest situation-neutral pace in the league. Also of note, the Cardinals lead the league in situation-neutral pass rate over the last four weeks. The loss of DeAndre Hopkins took a noticeable toll on this offense for a couple of weeks, as everyone was forced into new roles. However, the Cardinals seem to have found themselves a bit in a huge win at Dallas last week. Also of note is the return of Kyler Murray's dual threat ability, as he has been dynamic as a runner since returning from their Week 12 bye after dealing with ankle and shoulder injuries earlier this season. The Seahawks' defense has given up 27 points per game the last two weeks against the Bears and Lions. Now they face a Cardinals team that is getting its groove back and has a lot on the line. I would expect Arizona to play at a very fast pace and spread out this talent-deficient Seattle defense with an aggressive attack. The Seahawks actually have a solid run defense, but run defense metrics don't necessarily account for having to deal with a dual-threat quarterback like Murray. The Cardinals' backfield is beat up right now. With James Conner missing the last two games, he has been back at practice in a limited capacity this week, and Chase Edmonds failing to practice so far this week after handling heavy workloads in Conner's absence. The Cardinals are likely to put the ball in Kyler's hand often against a Seattle pass defense that ranks 30th in PFF pass rush grade and 26th in coverage grade, while also grading poorly in both DVOA and yards per pass attempt. Anyway you slice it, the Seattle defense is attacked most effectively through the air and with speed, which fits the Cardinals just right. Likeliest Game Flow The first time these teams played, Colt McCoy was the Cardinals' QB, the game was outdoors in Seattle, Rashad Penny played a very small role, and both defenses were healthier and playing at a higher level. This game is likely to be highly competitive and may have the most upside of any game on the slate, in my humble opinion. Arizona is the most likely team to take control of this game, but it would not surprise me if Seattle is able to find some explosive plays early against a familiar opponent. Due to the quarterbacks involved, if either team falls behind, we can expect them to aggressively try to get back in the game. Arizona is likely to put the game in Kyler Murray's hands, due to the nature of the matchup and the state of their backfield. Seattle is likely to put the ball in Russell Wilson's hands, as they have been doing the second half of the year, and they have a chance to play spoiler and make themselves relevant in an otherwise irrelevant season. The prospects of a game between these teams, with the ball in the hands of two dynamic players like Kyler and Russell Wilson, is extremely exciting. Let's not forget the game between these two teams in Arizona last year, when the teams combined for 71 points and almost 1,100 yards total offense. That was early in the year before Kyler got hurt and the Seahawks' offense went into a shell. While an output like that may be a pipe dream, something that far exceeds current market perception and expectations is very much in play. Scenarios Arizona can win the division if they win and the Rams lose. Winning the division would result in at least one home playoff game, as the Cardinals would be either the two seed or three seed, depending on the outcome of the Bucks game. Arizona has locked up a playoff spot and is currently the five seed in the NFC. Arizona can't drop any lower than their current seed. Seattle has been eliminated from the playoffs for several weeks.